And I want to talk to you about becoming perfect Christians. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Toward the end of your New Testament, you get to Revelation, you went too far. <laughs> Come back a little bit from there. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 5. And um, uh, starting in verse 5 down to verse 10, I want you to see something here. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 5, So also Christ glorified himself, glorified not himself to be made a high priest. He didn't, he didn't seek to become a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. This, the God who said that to him, verse 6, as he saith also in another place, Thou art also a priest forever after a guy called Melchizedek, after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh... <coughs> when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he, Jesus, were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Verse 10, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, <coughs> Paul is teaching about this guy named Melchizedek here in Hebrews. And he, he mentions him several times here. And uh, Melchizedek lived about um, uh, 500 years before the nation of Israel was ever begun, back at the time of Abraham. And uh, he was an example of the kind of priest that the Messiah was going to be like. And verse 11 says, look at what 11 says, of whom, of Melchizedek, we have many things to say, next part, hard to be uttered, it's hard to explain, seeing you're dull of hearing. Now, Paul doesn't say that, I, oh, there's so much to learn, I'm not going to be able to cover it. No, in chapter 7, go ahead and go to chapter 7, one more page over in verse 1. Look at, look at some of the characteristics of this guy named Melchizedek. Verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who, was, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. That was his tithe. First being by interpretation, he was the king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek was. And after that, he was also the king of Salem. That's the old name for Jerusalem. You hear that Salem in there? Jerusalem which is he was the king of peace. Now, this guy Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Messiah, the Son of God, and he abideth a priest continually. Now, consider how great this man, Melchizedek, was, and whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoil. So Abraham is honoring somebody greater than he was. His name was Melchizedek. So there was much to learn about him, but the truths about Melchizedek were hard to explain and they were hard for people to understand. Not because they were complex. Understand this. We all come to the Bible and we go, this is deep. This is complex. But the Apostle Paul in Hebrews, back there, if you go back to chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul says, of whom we have many things to say, hard to be uttered, seeing ye are, what's the problem? dull of hearing he says the problem was they were heavy in their hearing they were overwhelmed they were worn out as if to say they had given up and they were no longer interested anymore 
It's kind of like when you're in class and you're sitting there and you're waiting for the end of class or hopefully the end of school day and your mind just switches out. You say, I've heard enough. I can't hear anymore. And you become dull of hearing. Your eyes get heavy. Your ears have already shut off. And they're no longer attentive. And um, uh, this, this whole book is written to what people? It's the Hebrews. These are Jews. These are Hebrew-speaking people. Many of them were believers. But he's also writing to unbelieving Jews. And these Hebrews had heard what the Bible said, and they'd gotten tired of it. it you know, it is easy. Have you noticed how long is a normal film? Two hours. There are some films that are two and a half, and one of the Lord of the Rings was like almost three hours long. And people can sit there and watch the whole thing, but pick up a Bible, and all of a sudden all of their attention drops. They become dull of hearing. The excitement is gone. It's kind of like after you have a big Christmas dinner, and then somebody says, let's go in the sitting room and talk. And you go, no, let me find a, a bed somewhere. <laughs> I just want to go to sleep. You're just, you're, 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 your body's heavy, your ears are heavy, you're tired. Can you imagine a football coach, a soccer coach, uh, um, finding someone who's in the team there, and they're just sitting on the sidelines where everybody else is exercising and they're all preparing for the game. And this person's just sitting there, sipping on a Coke. And that person's just over there, just, just finding fault with all the ones, oh, he can't kick very well. And, oh, he's not a very fast runner. And, oh, that guy doesn't work together with soda. And he's just sitting there criticizing himself, never getting into shape, never getting into the game. He's not win interested in winning anything. Definitely not interested in getting out of his comfort zone. And the coach comes over and says, get up, we're getting into the game. And the Lord is saying to the church, we're just sitting. We are, we are back at the, at, at the bottom, at square one, where we should, be, we should be the movers and shakers and the influencers of this world, and we've let entertainers tell people what to believe. We've let people who only make money off of their opinion. They do not live and die by their opinion. Um, they, they have influenced our world when it's supposed to be Christians. But we have become lazy and dull and bored. Now, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 5, because there's some things that we ought to be, one thing that we ought to be, still in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, it says this, for when for the time ye ought to be, what's the next word? Teachers, there's our word. For when you ought to be a teacher, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. What a statement. We're supposed to be teachers. Now, teachers are more than just Joe Soaps. They're more than just students of the Bible. They are people who've learned enough to start teaching others, to explain things about God. They are the influencers, and we've always got a distraction, don't we? Uh, they are the influencers of society. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and I'll show you our example. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Jesus was a teacher. Matthew 4, 23. Therefore, if thou... Nope, oh, I'm in wrong chapter 5. I need chapter 4, 23. 
And Jesus went about all Galilee, what's the word? Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Chapter 9. Chapter 9, uh, 35. 9.35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Look at chapter 11, one more, <clears throat> verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their synagogues. Jesus was a teacher. That was his main work. Yes, he did miracles, but his main focus was to influence, was to correct wrong understanding, to actually step in and, and make a voice be heard amongst all the noise of the world, of politics and religion and everything else. Jesus was a teacher. The Jews were supposed to be teachers. The reason why Israel, why God so protected Israel was so that Israel could be a light to a dark world. As a matter of fact, there were great times when Israel attracted nations to come and to hear of the God of Israel. When Solomon was king, a queen from way down deep in Africa named the Queen of Sheba, she brought a huge caravan with her to come and meet this Solomon guy to learn of his God. They were a light. They were an influencer. They were teachers of the law for the world. As a matter of fact, I was reading, there are, uh, of history of the Bible, there are some of the oldest scriptures in the world are the Ten Commandments. And they are in almost every society back in the three, four, and five hundreds. And all over the world, you find, as a matter of fact, I don't know how true it is, but they found inscriptions of the Ten Commandments in America, up in the, the, the Indian um, uh, dwellings there of, of uh, uh, 2,500 years ago. I don't, I don't know. They say, no, they can't be true. I don't know. All I know is this. There was and always has been a work to take Jonah's and get the gospel to people way off in faraway places. And Israel was supposed to be teachers of this world of the God that's in heaven. But evidently, every follower of Jesus should be a teacher of the gospel too. Back there in Hebrews chapter 5, it says, for when the time ye ought to be teachers. So the people who are reading this Bible, you go, I guess I'm supposed to be a teacher. But instead, <laughs> if I could just grab him. But instead, what are we like? What do we like? <clears throat> um, uh, we're like babies. We are like uh, just, oh my goodness. We're just, for, for most people, we're just only saved. Barely born again. Um, he says there in Hebrews chapter 5, without going back there, because I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But while you're going to 1 Corinthians 3, he says in, in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, when you should be, um, a teacher, instead, somebody needs to come in and teach you again the very beginning of the gospel. They need, somebody needs to start all over with you and give you milk instead of meat. <clears throat> so there are, <clears throat> let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 1, and this is Paul writing to a church, the church at Corinth, 
in Greece, and he says this, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, which means living by your flesh, even as unto babes in Christ. When I tried to teach you, I had to, treat, I had to spoon feed you like I feed a baby. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, up to this point, you are not able to bear it, and neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. You're still like the world, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal, and walk as men instead of as Christians? So they're babies. They were saved. This is 10 years after they got saved. And Paul says, you are babies. You're, you're still, it's like, it's like you have to be spoon-fed on a high chair. Uh, you know very little of the Bible. Um, <clears throat> and you have to be taught just the beginning stuff. We can't take you down and teach about Melchizedek because you can't handle stuff like that. And Bible preaching is not affecting you like it should be. You know, uh, I, I don't know what changed. Well, I kind of do. But it grieves me that the Bible doesn't affect us like it used to. It grieves me that the world, when you, when you tell somebody, listen, where are you going when you die? You realize you're going to hell. You realize you have no hope. And they look at you and go, so. You know, the Bible says, and they go, so. You know, what's going on? They become dull of hearing. So much noise when you have so much coming at you, and then your little voice comes along. It's just, I'm not hearing you. I can't hear you. <clears throat> I find that a lot of Christians have no, more, no interest in becoming more than just being saved. And they come to church, and you know what their, their only contribution to church is? is criticism. Find fault with the pastor. And believe me, you can find plenty of fault with the pastor if you want to look. And they'll even say, you know, uh, I don't come to Wednesday night church because it's boring. Really? Really? Do you realize what you're saying? You're saying what Christ asks us to do that actually makes a difference in the world, which is God's people getting right. I wish our, our Taoiseach would get right. I wish our Taunister would get right. I wish and get saved. But they're not my burden, my problem. I am. And God says, I've got to get right. And when we say church and everything we do is boring, what are we saying to God? We're babies. We're saying we're babies. <clears throat> Do you know, God says it is you that is responsible for what you know. I had some terrible teachers in secondary school. Did you have great teachers in secondary school? I had, <clears throat> oh my goodness, without giving, <clears throat> I had a, a, an algebra teacher that would make you want to chew on glass. That would, that would, the algebra teacher just made you want to bang your head against the wall on your way out of the class. We learned nothing the first year in algebra. I hated algebra. I wanted to learn it. <clears throat> then I got in geometry class, and, and that was kind of cool. And I went to my, uh, what they called algebra two, my second algebra class, uh, the two years later. And I went, and I had the best teacher ever. This guy was awesome. He taught more history because he was German. He talked about World War II a lot. <laughs> and he talked about being in World War II and stuff like this. He was an older teacher. But he connected the dots and made algebra absolutely incredible. But I had very few teachers like that. The rest of them, 
boring. The rest of them was like a dungeon. You were trapped in there. And, and the point is this, I was in school to learn. It is my responsibility to learn. It is not so much their responsibility to teach. I have to learn. How many of you have ever read the, uh, the Rules of the Road? Do you remember the Rules of the Road? The Rules of the Road book, did you know it is a boring book? If it weren't for the pictures, nobody would read it. <laughs> but Rules of the Road, as boring as that may be, and as touchy as those, those um, uh, driving instructors are, and, and, and just, you know, they're, they're so agitated, I would be true, too, if I was trying to take you out driving. <laughs> but bad teachers, boring material, doesn't matter. You have to learn it, don't you? And when it comes to the Bible, these, this, is the, this is the life book for us that makes eternal difference. And when Bible preaching and Bible teaching doesn't move us, we need to be worried. Because when we're dull of hearing, we're never going to grow. So um, uh, I want to show you a chart. Simple, most Christians live this way. Are you ready? All right. So what we do is, once I bring it up, there is um, uh, just simple uh, time, cross time, and then our spirituality, okay? So I want to become more spiritual. Paul even says, I could not write unto you as spiritual, but I had to write to you as unsaved men, almost as barely just saved. And he says, okay, we'll start off over here. There was a time when you were lost, and then because of somebody giving you the gospel, you become saved. Amen. That's the greatest day of your life. But here's the problem. From there, you never grow. From that moment, you never do anything for God. Your spirituality is defined by the day you got saved. Can you imagine why would a marriage be in trouble when they both stay the same as they were when they were not married? If they came together and they never grew together, they never matured together, they never worked together, but they just stayed the way they were before they came together, would that marriage grow? Of course it wouldn't. And when I get saved and I move into this relationship with God and I never grow in that relationship, I never move out of my comfort zone, I am a baby. And so they remain baby Christians and they stay on milk. Now let's pretend, uh, I'm gonna use Gavin, always use Gavin. Gavin, you are how old? 29. And if Gavin, instead of drinking coffee like a man, he brings his baby bottle to work, it's just warm enough not to scald you when you drink it. <laughs> and and uh, he brings it to work and well, everybody else is drinking their coffee and their tea and their, Here's this guy sipping on milk still. Now, I love milk. I'm one of the few people today that still drinks milk. I know everybody's allergic to it. But can you imagine if that's all I ever did for my food? All right. This is how Christians should live. Let's start with our chart again, where we have time and we have spirituality, okay? So instead of me thinking I'm just a little bit lost, I'm really lost. I'm down at the bottom, okay? And when I got saved, praise God, I'm saved now. I've moved from, from night to day. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But is that where I stay? 
the Christian moves on and then gets baptized. And then the Christian says, oh, I didn't know. I'm, I'm supposed to be feeding on the Bible. Good. So I start reading my Bible and I start learning the milk. Boy, a lot of things are way over my head, but I'm loving it. I'm loving what I learn. I'm loving what I see. I'm following Jesus. I don't understand Melchizedek, but I understand Jesus. And I go from, from saved to baptized to Bible reading, and I'm crossing a line at that point. I'm moving up into the meat. And from there, I go soul winning because all of a sudden I start talking to people and they start throwing questions at me and I start giving answers. And I move into the meat. And then from there, I'm studying my Bible. <clears throat> I, I was in Bible college for four years, okay? <clears throat> and in that time of my Bible college, I learned three things, all right? Well, I learned two things. Let me, and then when I got married, I learned my third thing, all right? So the first thing I got was I got book learning. I learned a lot of things that people said needed to be understood from the Bible. And I learned and I read my Bible through every year, just devouring it. Okay, so, but then I got a practical learning when I went out and I talked to people at doors and I had a bus route. I, I actually drove a bus and picked up 77 kids every Sunday morning and brought them to church and to Sunday school. On Saturday, I would go and visit them all and say, are you coming to church? Are you coming to Sunday school? Talk to their parents, dealt with people dying, dealt with people going to the hospital, dealt with people's questions. And all of that forced me to go back to my Bible and study. Now, I was already studying in Bible college, but I was studying in life. And that moved me to the meat and then from there, I started serving. I got to teach Sunday school. I got to, I became uh, not just working on the bus route, but I became the bus driver. And then I became the, the what was called the bus director, which means there were four buses. We had, we had one Sunday, we had 200 kids brought in on, on uh, those buses to Sunday school. Those were great days, but I was serving. I wasn't just sitting in church. I had been pulled out of my, my um, uh, comfort zone, and I was serving. And from there, God moved me to the ultimate goal, which was to be a teacher. Now, you say, well, pastor, that's you. No, that's supposed to be for everybody. You don't have to be behind a pulpit to teach the Bible. You can be a teacher by handing the gospel to somebody, explaining what the gospel is. We need to be way up the scale so that we're on a track of growth and we never stop growing you have to, to, to have the testimony of hebrews 5 is to have the testimony that says you constantly have somebody feeding you just milk just always only teaching you the basics and the simple things because they don't want to offend you because it's too complex for you no the problem is you're dull of hearing if all week long you have watched everything that they show on television and you have hang around, hung around with the friends who are the filthiest mouth and they don't even have to be wicked people just people have filthy language generally today and when you hear that and you watch that and you are yourself not doing right <clears throat> all of that influence and then you sit in church and I'm just talking to I'm just talking to a tree stump or do you want to have a testimony that says I love milk but boy, do I love steak. And I love a good hamburger. I love meat. I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> we tried these meatless burgers. You ever tried those things? Those vegan burgers and stuff like that? Okay, so they're kind of interesting. And I, the flavor's okay. 
but give me a real burger, man. Give me a steak that just, just the, the, the aroma is just oozing out of it. <clears throat> so let me show you the dangers. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and look in verse 3. Look at the dangers of remaining a Christian baby. <clears throat> See, babies are cute and cuddly, but you wouldn't trust them with the car keys, would you? Babies are really wonderful to hold, but you wouldn't trust them with a chainsaw or a sword or a knife. Look at your Bible. Look at First um, uh, Corinthians um, chapter 3. I guess I need to go first. Yeah, let me. <clears throat> um, well, I'll go ahead and yeah, I better I mean, don't hold that point for a second. Go back to First Timothy chapter 3. Babies, Christian babies live small. <clears throat> you ever, uh, I've done it a couple of times where a little column, now he's kind of small, isn't he? But I don't see column there and I back up and all of a sudden I'm walking on him. I'm like, I'm about to fall over because he's, he's small. And I don't see him there. And you know what Christians are? We kind of stay out of the way. We don't want anybody to see us. You know, we don't want to get any attention. <clears throat> well, man, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous way to live. That's why riding a motorcycle is really almost... In, you know, I want to say it's pretty stupid, but anyway, it's really dangerous because people don't see. People in cars don't see people in, in motorcycles. And Christians who are babies, they live small. <clears throat> they live so that, that nobody can see them, and they're happy with that. That is wrong. We are an open book, folks. <clears throat> we only want milk? Really? Is that what you want? Well, I, every time I read the Bible, I get confused. Yeah, it's because you're a baby. <clears throat> and you're choking on meat. I told you the story. The first time my dad bought me a steak, we were at a restaurant. I might have been <clears throat> six years old. I don't know. I was kind of young, maybe five years old. And I said, I want a steak. And my dad bought me a little steak there. And I remember looking at this thing, and I saw him eat steaks, and I saw him eat burgers, stuff like this. But when I had that steak there, and he, he you know, set it there, and, and I, I picked up the thing. You know how you stab your, your, your meat? And I put it in my mouth, and I, and I must have chewed on that for about three minutes, embarrassingly, going, how do you eat this thing? My dad says, you need to cut it up. So he cut it up, because he was laughing, and he cut up the thing. And so I put that piece of meat in my mouth, and I must have chewed it for 10 minutes. <laughs> because it doesn't, I had never eaten meat like a steak before. And it was hard to chew, hard to swallow. Probably, I think they say steak takes three months, three months, three days to digest, three months, three days to digest. Christians come to the Bible and they, and they can't get it in. They find it hard. And I understand that. It's because we're dull of hearing. We've not grown up. We have not protected ourselves from all of the influences so that we're ready for the Bible. They stumble at things. A little child who's learning to walk constantly falls down, and Christians stumble. They hear of somebody, you know, uh, somebody else, and, and, and maybe some, they fall away or whatever, and they quit church. Somebody else gets offended because a pastor says something, and they quit church. They stumble at things. Those are signs of being a baby. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not the sign of Christianity. We follow Christ. We don't follow each other. 
babies fall, stumble at things and they are full of pride. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, there's your pastor, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to, what's ready to teach. Jump down to verse 6. Not a novice. What do they call them here in Ireland? They're called... They haven't put an N on your car when you get your license. What does that mean? New driver. Stands for novice driver. And, and the idea is, yes, you're on the road, but don't think you know what to do. Give yourself some time. You're still a novice. But a person who is uh, a bishop should not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the combination of the devil. Verse 7, moreover, he must have good report of them which are without. He's got to have a good testimony lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Uh, baby, baby Christians are full of pride and that is a work of Satan. Uh, they're spoiled brats. Baby Christians are spoiled. We read it there in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, there is among you envying and strife and divisions. You know, they, uh, it's like two you, you watch two, two children. There's no other toys in the room. And then somebody puts a little toy truck in the middle. And both of them dump at it and mine. <laughs> and they will scratch and fight over that one toy. And that's how Christians are? Fighting among themselves when we have everything? We're spoiled brats. We find fault and argue with one another. And they never end up doing anything for the kingdom of God except resist it. Never do anything. Their lives are the worst kind of hypocrisy. Christians who are babies, even after being saved for 15 years, are the worst form of hypocrites. And yet, what will they say? Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> One of the signs that you are an immature baby Christian is that you criticize others instead of yourself. Your, your whole goal is to affect this world with the kingdom of God and of all you're doing is finding faults and problems and reasons to quit you're a baby now that's not terminal there's a way to fix that and that's what we're going to do I have to say this because babies have immature beliefs is why is it why is it so fun for a parent to teach their kid that there's a big fat guy in a red suit coming down the chimney with presents in his bag behind him why is it so fun for parents to do that? because kids believe it and it's easy to convince kids to go to bed early on Christmas Eve because you say, Santa's not going to come if you don't go to bed. And so parents teach these fairy tales to kids because kids easily believe it. And that is the problem with baby Christians. They believe everything they see on YouTube. They believe everything that somebody says with polish. They believe the politicians. They believe everything except what should be tested. You know, uh, heresies is a fruit of baby Christians. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I mean, folks, this is a day when the church is more divided than ever because of heresies in it and because of baby Christians, not because of Bible believers. 
First Corinthians eleven nineteen says this, still Paul, still right in the same church. It says, for there must also be heresies among you. But they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Those who are right are going to be evident, but there are heresies among you. What happens is in churches where you've got just about baby Christians who are never corrected, who are never uh, taught um, to, to grow up and never, never pulled out of their comfort zone, they become churches full of babies influencing babies. They teach that baptism saves instead of Christ alone. Baptism is something you do after you get saved, not to get saved. Uh, they teach that you got to keep the law to get saved. That is stupid. The law brings you to the way, place where you need Christ. And then once you get saved, then you joyfully start living by the law. You're going to fail, but that's your goal. There are babies right now, Christians who teach that Jesus is not God. I don't think they're saved at all. But how they get so influential? They're babies influencing babies. There are people who say that eternal life is not eternal life. That's a heresy. They say the resurrection is past already. They say Jesus is not coming back literally. There are baby Christians that, teaches, that teach that God used evolution to create the universe. You know what? I believe the milk of the word that Jesus loves me. But I believe the meat of the word that God created everything, this entire universe, in six days. That's meat. That's not easy to believe, but I take both. But a baby will go, well, you know, Genesis is written poetically. I don't really believe it literally. Baby, baby, you just can't take the meat. How about that God is all through with the Jewish people? That's a big deal today. Say, well, God's through with the Jews. I'm in the place of the Jews. That's a baby talking. These are all doctrines of proud babies who are not skilled in the word of, at all. Now, we should be perfect Christians. Go to Hebrews 6 now. We'll get to the message. Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving... Oh, let me go back. Uh, I don't think I... I um, 5, 12. Yeah, I will go back. Okay, so 6 1 says this. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. All right? Now, um, unto what's the word? Let's get to perfection there. All right? So, there are five big scriptural marks of maturity. All right? Um, there are no sinlessly perfect or flawless Christians. Can we agree on that? All right? So, when it says, let us go into perfection, he's using it. But we're going to have to take a step back and go, what does he mean by it? Because there are no sinlessly perfect or flawless Christians. There are just mature Christians who've grown up. Uh, when I was a kid and with our kids, we had a, we had a, 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 a we used our, the wall on our kitchen. And um, we, we put a board there and we marked the heights of our kids as they grew up. And there ought to be a, a measure of growth happening to a Christian that is called going to perfection. Uh, look at chapter 5 and verse 12. Still in Hebrews, for when the time you ought, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God. And are kind of 
and, and are become such as have need of milk and not of meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He's a baby. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of, what's the word? Full age. They've grown up. Even those who by reason of use, because they constantly use the Bible, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I'm going to tell you, to get to the place where we're perfect Christians, we've got to know what a perfect Christian is. A perfect Christian loves all the Bible. I know people who only love the words of Jesus. They only read the words in red. They only like the New Testament. Nope, 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 nope. That's a baby Christian. A grown-up Christian says, I take the whole book. I, I want to hear the whole counsel of God. I want to know everything God says. They love all the word of God. That's a mature grown-up. You know how, listen, <clears throat> here's an 11-year-old, and uh, uh, two people who are 11 years old, and a boy and a girl, and all of a sudden he starts thinking, I wonder if I'm in love. He has no idea what love is. He definitely is not willing to take this person, warts and all, and live with that person for the rest of their life. I find people who are 29 years old who are unable to, when they stand at the altar, to actually accept the other person, warts and all. They're babies when they get married. They get offended. They won't let the other person have their way. No, I'm not going to give in. And so you put two babies together, they will fight and kill each other. And the point is, a mature person says, I take you as you are for the rest of my life. That's maturity. And when I come to the Bible, I take it start to finish as it's written. That's maturity. I love the Bible. Oh, how love I thy law. I don't love grace only. I love the law too. I love the statutes, the commandments. I love everything. I love the promises. Secondly, a mature Christian, a perfect Christian, is careful about what they conclude. Look at verse 13. Still in chapter 5, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. All right, a baby is unskillful. But a mature Christian is skillful. That means somebody gives you a verse, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me look at the chapter. Let me look at the context. Let me see who's being talked to here. See, babies are unskillful in the word. And so they'll say, well, I found in the Bible that you have to endure to the end to be saved. And you go, uh, 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 let's go to Matthew 24. Let's look at the whole context. The end of what? And they have no idea. It's the end of the tribulation. But the point is, a Christian grows to the point where we go, I'm a little slow to believe that or to follow that. I'm making sure I understand it. That's maturity. Like handling a power tool. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you can give me a drill, you can give me a saw, but don't give me a chainsaw. <laughs> I have never used a chainsaw. I would have to be trained to use a chainsaw because it will cut things that I don't want cut off, amen? I, it's dangerous. And there are people who come to the Bible and they're dangerous around the Bible because they have no skill. Another aspect of mature Christians is that they're patient in proving their wisdom. Look at verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. They wait until they're grown up, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What's he talking about? Well. They've been saved a while. They look forward to God 
using them, but whenever God is, t says that they're ready. You know, I've made the mistake saying, why don't you do this? And hey, why don't you go do that or whatever? And they crash and burn because they weren't ready. And there's a maturity that comes where you say, Lord, I'm going to be patient. I, 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 never, I want to be used by you, but I want to be ready. And that's maturity. I like the next part. Uh, they enjoy strong meat. Now, strong meat means strong flavored meat. In most of the world, meat is still not refrigerated like it is in, in Western Europe. We put meat into freezers and we put meat into uh, our fridges and stuff. But how do people in most of the world hold on to meat? They super spice it up. They salt it and they put spices. I one time was, was at, a, at a, uh, an Indian, uh, an India Indian's home and we had crab meat. I didn't know where it was from. It was really, really spicy. He put that curry sauce on there like it was butter, man. It was just oozing all over. And we ate it. And I'm like, this doesn't quite taste right, but I ate the thing. I didn't know where it came from. I thought it was the crab legs. No. It was the crab meat from inside the shell. And I said, is this how it's supposed to taste? He says, no, it's tasted worse. <laughs> I said, okay, all right. And he says, you never want to open up and eat the meat from a crab because it stinks, so we have to spice it up. I went, wow. Okay, that was a lesson learned. Never eat crab meat. <laughs> that's not the, the, the sh uh, from the arms. The point is this. That's how they killed anything that was a bug in there, and they made it preserved for a long time. And some people can't handle it. I didn't want to ever have it again. But hanging up meat out in the open, how does it last? They put tons of spices and tons of, of, of salt in it, and no bug wants to get near it. And then here you come, and you cut off a piece, and you chew on it for a little while, and it's old, but it's still good. It's strong meat. It's not, it's not a tender, fresh steak maybe that you picked up at the grocery store. And a Christian, I come to some stuff in the Bible, and it's really strong, and it's really hard to chew on. But I love it, because it's the Word of God. And I like how he talks about senses. How many of you ever, uh, in the middle of the early in the morning, you get up, and you get your coffee, or get your tea, and you open up the fridge, and you grab the milk, and as you're pouring the milk in, it goes, bloop, 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 and it's got, you know, globs instead of pouring. And then you go, What? You're looking at your milk and it starts, you know, swirling around in big clumps and all this stuff. And you look at the date and then you smell it and then you taste and you go, that's bad. Now, what have you done? You've used all your senses and your senses have told you, don't drink it. And when it comes to maturity, we just don't believe what everyone says. We just don't believe the politicians and the religionists and the, the YouTubes and society and media. We go... I'm going to check this out. I'm going to use all of my senses to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. Um, that's, the, that's what it looks like and what it's like becoming a perfect Christian. Let me show you how to do it. Because go back to chapter 6 and verse 1. Five quick things that are necessary to become, when I say perfect, it means mature, grown-up Christians. Number one. 
Look at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, watch that word, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resur resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Now, what is the first thing that you need to do if you need to grow up? Learn Bible doctrine. <clears throat> he says, he says, we need to leave behind the principles of these doctrines, not leave behind as if neglect, but that we have mastered them and we can set them aside and say, all right, I finished. It's called graduation. I don't know, did you have a graduation ceremony when you graduated from kindergarten? Did you have graduation when you graduated from high school, secondary school? Did you have graduation when you finished college? That was when you left it behind, but you had mastered it, right? And that's what Paul is saying. We need to learn Bible doctrine. Look at the doctrines he lists. He said the doctrine of Christ. That's a serious doctrine of who he was, what he did, what he represents, and what he can do. Christology. The doctrine of salvation. I like how he calls it. He says, uh, where am I? Um, uh, not laying again the foundation. The foundation of our doctrine is repentance from dead works and faith towards God. You better learn soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of baptisms, that's dispensationalism. That's where you learn there are different baptisms at different times. John's baptism was, is not New Testament baptism, not believer's baptism at all. Christ's baptism was on the cross. That's the baptism that saves. All other baptisms are, shadow, are shadows. When you learn dispensationalism, you learn the Bible. Um, ordination. He talks about laying on of hands. That's how leader, church leadership operates. We need to learn the doctrine of what is a pastor? What are teachers? What is uh, expected of us? And the resurrection, that's a good doctrine. How about the, resurrection, uh, the, the doctrine of the eternal judgment of sinners? He lists that thing there. He says, uh, verse, the end of verse 2, and of eternal judgment. That is is the doctrine of hell. And boy, do Christians need to learn that doctrine again. Paul calls these doctrines, Paul calls them the first principles. Did you notice that? He says, these be the first principles, the first truths we need to learn well when we get saved. Every Christian needs to be grounded in those doctrines. And then he says, let us go on unto perfection. Uh, perfection, again, means maturity. Uh, let's take a, let's take, here's, let's use a nine-year-old. Let's see, well, how old are you? Um, you're 13, okay. Thir uh, at 13 years old, do you think you could drive your dad's car? Do you think you could? Okay, but deep down, you wish you could. <laughs> and there's a lot of kids who are 13 who believe that they could drive a car because they think it's just mechanically hit the accelerator and turn the wheel, right? Until you hit a patch of water and you start to hydroplane. And until a dog darts out in front of you chasing after a ball, or it's a child. Or, how many of you have ever been, when we first came to Ireland, I loved the, the, the magic of driving on Irish roads. It's a two-lane road. But in a split moment, you start to pass somebody, and then there's another car coming, and he gets into your lane, and he's passing at the same time. And what was magic about driving in Ireland was everybody just moved over <laughs> and let everybody go. And then everybody becomes back to two lanes, one lane each way. 
And I went, wow. You know how you get there? Maturity. That's where people know as they pull out and they go, oh, we'll just all pull over because I'm already in my lane. I'm already in the speed lane getting out. And they're already in the, the fast lane getting out. And as everybody just moves over, that's maturity. And Christians don't have that kind of maturity anymore. And I'm going to get you. <laughs> anyway, we need to get there, folks. Learn Bible doctrines. Hunger for God. Uh, if you want to grow, you're going to have to do it in your own starting in your personal devotions. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 8. The devil is trying to get Jesus just to worship him for one split second. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 8, Jesus answered and said back to the devil, he said, Luke 4, 8, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. And what's that next word? Thou is a word pointing to one person. It doesn't say ye. When you say ye, you're talking about everybody. But when you say thou, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Every Christian needs to take that as I'm supposed to worship God. I'm supposed to have my own time of worship. Worship is the opposite of being dull. It's the opposite of being bored and lazy. Worship is active, passionate. It is awesome. It is intense and is enjoyable. If church is not enjoyable, I can, I can only do so much. You don't want me to tell jokes. Everybody's already told me that. Uh, I don't think I can dance. I've tried to sing. But if you come for all of that, you're missing the gospel. But if you come for the book, and if you say, I'm hungry for the Bible, you'll get fed here. You, you'll go away and you says, I want to worship God with that truth. It is necessary that we all worship passionately, intensely, and we enjoy it. Don't just do it online on Sundays. How many of you had breakfast? Anybody had breakfast this morning? Anybody? Some, some, some of you? Okay. How many of you plan on having lunch? Yeah. But what if you said, well, that's all I'm going to have? I'll wait till next Sunday before I eat again. Would you really do that? Of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. You know, I liked on the, what was it, on the Lord of the Rings, one of the guys says, doesn't he know about breakfast? What about, what was the second breakfast? Yeah, second breakfast. And what about 11 Z's and stuff like that? Just constantly eating all throughout day. Our, our, our need for worship of God ought to be constant. It has to be. How do you do that? 30 minutes. 30 minutes a day. How can you do less? If I spent as much time with my wife as I did with God, would I have a relationship? Did you hear me? If I only spent as much time with Nita as I spent with Jesus, would I stay married? Probably because she's a good woman, she'd stick with me. But our relationship would stink if all of the, the few minutes that most people spent with God, they also spent with their wife or their kids. No wonder we're falling apart. Worship 30 minutes, first thing in the morning. Get your Bible out. Get a notepad, a pen. Read four chapters. It takes me two hours to read four chapters. Then read two chapters a day. Write something in your notebook every day. I don't care. Out of those two chapters, something ought to be true and important to you. Write it down. 
and you have questions, write down those questions. Bring them to me. Bring them to Gavin. He'll answer them all for you. Write down some prayer lists, remembering from Wednesday night or people that you know of, and pray and praise God and worship. You know what will happen? When you leave that place, wherever you are in, a, um, in your closet, I don't know if you can get into your closet or if it's by your bedside or uh, at your kitchen table for everybody else is bothering you, when you walk out of there and you head to work, you'll be sane, you will be stable, and you'll be happy. He goes on. Don't just keep there. Study your Bible. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. There's our word. A workman. It takes work to study that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study your Bible. You know, we have a book here. Uh, written by yours truly, called the First Principles Discipleship Course, okay? And uh, uh, I've tried to get as many people to go through it as possible and learn all those doctrines that are on that list there. Learn about the things that are fundamental. They're called the First Principles for a reason. And you got to get into it. You've got to learn how to become skillful in the Word. That's my purpose is to teach the Bible. We also have Cork Bible Institute. You know, I teach verse by verse through nine, uh, um, well, through 29 separate books of the Bible, verse by verse. Um, but uh, I also teach um, these courses on Bible, his, Baptist history and distinctives, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, history of the church in general, cults and false religions, so on and so forth. That's all parts of Bible Institute. And then 29 different books of the Bible, verse by verse, all part of studying the Bible. And I'm kind of burdened that uh, when we're going to, and soon we're going to realign, we're going to fill this room up with all church. We're going to have unified church again at 11 o'clock. But at 9.30, anybody who wants to, have, we're going to go into small groups, and we're going to have discipleship right here in small groups on Sunday morning from half nine. Then we have church at 11. So that's what we're working towards because we need to study. We need to grow and strive for the right goal. What is our right goal? Go back to Hebrews and we'll finish this up. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. What is our goal? You say, I'm a nobody. I, 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 I'm, I can't understand the Bible. I can't. But your goal ought to be that you can understand, that you do get what God is saying, and that you can become a teacher. Look at 5.12. It says, for what? For when, for the time, ye ought to be teachers. Instead, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God. Strive for the right, right goal. Too many Christians go to church to, to find happiness or to find a wife or to find money or get wealthy or they get saved so they can find love. Those are all normal goals of humanity. But we need to get back to the goal of being able to be an influencer of the world. Don't let teaching scare you. Don't let the idea, and I'm not going to rush and throw you to the wolves, okay? But don't let that scare you. The, most, the highest goal any Christian should be to, would be to influence our world for right. Do you want to influence your children for right? Then you already have the right desire. Just expand it to where God has you on that job 
to be an influencer, to be a light, to be a teacher, not just a smiling statue. And serve one another. Last verse, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9 and 10. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. We know that you don't want to stay a baby. And I hope that's your thought. We're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered. You've served the saints, and you do minister. What is he saying? Use what you learn. Use what you learn. So, what you get on a Sunday morning ought to go home with you and all of a sudden ought to be part of your home life now. Our time in church is not just, I just went to a social club and I came home. No, you came. You got your heart right. You got your priorities reset and you went home and things got changed. Relationship with your wife and your kids got changed. Then you took it to work and your boss, you begin to honor your employer. You begin to honor your, the, the other uh, employees. You don't talk like them. You talk like Christ would if he were there. And you begin to influence them. You, you're you're at, the, uh, at the shop and uh, people are needing a gospel witness and out come the tracks. And you begin to influence the world around you. And you serve. You're doing it as a servant. You're not doing it as an arrogant. You're doing it as a mature Christian in this world. Here's the conclusion. We ought to be more than just saved sinners. But how, what are you known in heaven as? Are you a baby Christian? Are you a spoiled brat? Do you find it easy to spend hours in front of TV, binge watching, YouTube, social media apps, TikTok, Instagram, Spotify, and yet when you pick up the Bible, it just dies in your lap? Then guess what? You're a spoiled brat. You're a baby. Or... Does God see you as a mature, ready teacher of this book that is needed today to be preached and taught by Bible-believing Christians everywhere? The world needs us. And you know, how many people did Jesus use to turn the world upside down? Twelve. And then they became 11. <laughs> and then they became 120. And then they became 5,000. Then they became 13,000. And then innumerable. All because somebody says, we're going to influence. We're going to become teachers of the gospel. We can start off as a baby and that be all we are for the rest of our life. Or we need to be more than just saved sinners. We can go whatever process God has us through to grow up and be mature. As a matter of fact, our, our a Christian culture, the older a person gets, the more we should honor them. There is no retirement in Christianity, is there? And the more, the Bible says you're supposed to rise up to the hoary head. It means to the white hair, haired person, because they have wisdom. They are mature. They are slow to just believe everything that's being said or whatever, folks. We need to be teachers. We need to be able to sit down with somebody. If you can't explain the gospel, please Say, God, I don't want to say a baby. I want to get into my Bible and learn. I want to take a track and memorize it if I have to so that I can teach somebody the gospel. To be a teacher, I need to learn doctrine. I need to hunger and have a walk with God myself. 
I need to study the Bible myself. I love it when pastor teaches, but his whole purpose is to get me thinking so that I continue all week long. I want to strive to be a teacher and influence, and I want to serve. We have too many people who don't mind being the pastor and don't mind preaching, but they never go soul winning. They never help out getting early and setting up. That bothers me. The best influencers are servants, Jesus said. But it begins there in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, you better have the foundation laid of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. That's when you get saved. Are you born again? Was there ever a day where you knew you were lost? Without hope, without God, you were a sinner. And you cried out to God and said, Lord, I'm tired of me. I'd like to follow Jesus. If you would believe by faith that Jesus did everything for you to give you eternal life. And that life begins now, not just when you get to heaven. And you're willing to live it now and to grow in it. Then you're ready to get saved. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads, we humbly ask God that you'd help us to grow up. Help us to um, take these, this challenge as... This isn't church we're talking about. This is the Christian life, and we're not living it. Anybody can go to church, but very few people ever are the church and ever live it and carry it throughout the week. And would you help us so that we, we take what we learn on Sunday, we take what we learn on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in our, in our own Bible time and our walk with you we take it and we start living it and we grow and we grow and grow at whatever level you want to take us to may it always point to and become a time where we speak up for god we stand up for jesus and we explain the gospel and we influence our world when we shut up the darkness came in and that's our fault Lord, help us to grieve over the fact that the world has all the voice. Well, your, your words still work, and I pray that we would speak them once again. We teach them once again. We become teachers like we should be. We continue in this book and continue to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.